There's such an air of expectation. Do you feel it? It's an exciting time of the year always. Okay, let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, you are our holy God and yet we have the privilege of calling you our Father. Thank you that we can call ourselves children of the living God. As we approach our Christian Passover, we are mindful of all your goodness, mercy and love in our lives. You gave us the life of Jesus, the sacrifice that must have broken your heart. He endured the agony of feeling abandoned, all for the purpose of taking our sins upon himself. Help us to take sin seriously, to ask for your forgiveness when we see the error of our ways, and to enjoy your loving kindness when we come to you with a repentant heart. We look forward to the week ahead as we prepare for all our most precious time on the calendar. Help us to create a meaningful atmosphere as our people come to church over the weekend. Give us ideas for decorations that will touch their hearts. Please help Graham and his co-workers as they prepare the Passover meal on Thursday. For any non-Christians people that attend. We ask that they be so moved by significance and truth that they will give their hearts to you. Please help Sam prepare for his messages. Knowing our Sam, he will want them to be special. So please guide his thoughts as he waits on your Holy Spirit to direct him so that he can bring bring us the special. Bless the children that they may absorb new and wonderful things. Bless Jo and her team and guide them in the leading of the children. May we as parents and grandparents be wise about what we give our kids in celebration. Make us mindful of worldly influence, influences which captures the hearts of so many on Sunday morning so that we will guide them in the ways that honour you. Above all this morning, we honour you, our Heavenly Father, and our dear Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Morning, everybody. And uh, welcome to you online as well. Uh, as Andrew said, I hope that uh, you're sensing uh, God's presence with you as we, as you meet with us, as you join together with us as well. Uh, if you're new to the church, my name's Sam Barnes. I'm the pastor here, and it's an honour to share with you. And I hope that this morning will be special. <laughs> special not because it's oh, something um, superhuman or anything like that, but special because it's God's word that touches our hearts and does a difference in our lives. Amen? Well, I had the best sermon opener this morning, um, and it involved having a prop. And because we've moved house and everything's in boxes, I couldn't find it. So I'm going to hold on to that sermon opener because it's a good one, um, and I'm going to leave it for another time. But I just want to start by saying we as human beings love comparing things, don't we? I think it's in our DNA that we just see two things and we just naturally compare which is better than the other thing. Uh, Particularly when we're trying to shop for something, we'd like to compare and get the better one out of the two options or three or four options. 
uh, as human beings, we just love to compare. And so what I want to do this morning is talk about three things out of our passage this morning, three comparisons as we look at the story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. And there are three comparisons that help us understand who Jesus is and his role in our lives this morning. So we're going to be looking at John's uh, version of the triumphant entry. Uh, the triumphant entry is in each four of the Gospels. And so when uh, we see something repeated in all four of the Gospels, we know it's something important. And all the four Gospel writers uh, talk about Jesus entering into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And in John's Gospel, it is... Um, it's in chapter 12. So, so if you've got your Bibles, feel free to open to John chapter 12. We're going to be looking at that at a moment. But what's interesting to note is that there are 21 chapters in John. So at chapter 12, John is already into what we call the passion narrative, which is Jesus' last week of ministry before he goes to the cross, dies for our sins, and is risen again. That We call that Holy Week or Passion Week, which is why we're concentrating this year on having devotions leading up into that. But the start of Passion Week starts with Jesus entering into Jerusalem. And John's Gospel, like he's got a bit of lead up into it, but pretty much half of his Gospel is devoted to this week of Jesus starting in Jerusalem and heading to the cross. In fact, all of the gospel writers are, are really, this is what they're climaxing towards. They've got some peripheral stuff, but really let's get on to what's important. What is important in telling the gospel is getting to the passion narrative, getting to where Jesus is heading to the cross. So Matthew two-fifths is devoted to this. In Mark, three-fifths is devoted to the passion narrative. In Luke, one-third of it, of his whole gospel, is devoted to this week leading up to Easter. And for John, half of it is leading up. So we're going to be looking at that this morning. But Jesus... Uh, in his three years of ministry on earth, was predominantly did most of his ministry in the surrounding areas. Uh, I've got a map here. Um, so, you know, Cana is turning the water into wine, um, uh, feeding the 5,000. The Sea of Galilee features a lot with boats and storms and things. Uh, and whereas Jerusalem down here mainly because the Pharisees were after Jesus. And so he would come for the, the festivals and, and kind of come into Jerusalem and then sneak out again, come in Jerusalem, sneak out again. And predominantly all of his three years leading up to his last week were happening out there. But now Jesus turns his face to Jerusalem and he enters in. And that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning as we look at this John's version of the triumphant entry. So let's have a look at John chapter 12, starting at verse 12. The next day, a great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. 
as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things had been written about him and that these things had to be done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that he had promised this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So Jesus enters on a donkey. Now, I like to add fun facts in my sermons, fun facts about donkeys this morning. Did you know that some donkeys can live up to 60 years old? It's pretty incredible, isn't it? Donkeys have big ears because they can actually hear miles and miles away. Their hearing is absolutely incredible. Um, Did you know that donkey's fur is not waterproof, which is why they don't like to be out in the rain? I didn't know that until this week. But my favourite fact... Um, is probably not a fact. It's probably something you've heard of. There's a bit of a saying going around that says that there are more people killed by donkey accidents than there are people killed by plane accidents. There was actually an ad done with that statement and the New York Times actually produced a newspaper article uh, based on that fact. Now, I actually did, did a bit of fact-finding and there's no actual evidence that that is actually true, <laughs> which goes to prove you don't have to just believe everything you hear in, in, in the media, but that you, we should be seeking out and finding the truth for ourselves. So that may be true, that may not be true. But this day in the Jewish calendar was the 10th day of Nisan, which was when uh, the families would come and they would choose, and it was in that video, they would choose the Passover lamb that they were going to sacrifice uh, and have as a meal. This was the day that they would go and choose the spotless lamb. And this is the day that Jesus enters into Jerusalem as the lamb of God that will take away the whole sins of the world. And ultimately, as we know, uh, how And hopefully you're going to be coming to the Passover meal because we're going to be talking about how um, the retelling of the story of the deliverance of Israel was the biggest thing for these people, how uh, Moses led them out through the Red Sea uh, and delivered them out of slavery. And, And they retold this story. And Jesus now comes and he places himself in that story. And we can see as we're going to be doing this Passover meal, as we go through uh, bit by bit, how Jesus fulfills so much of this story for us today. And so Jesus presents himself to the nation as the Passover lamb. And he comes in on a donkey. So I just want to draw out three simple things that I see as we look at the Gospel of John this morning. The first thing that I notice is that Jesus is more appealing than religion. Jesus is more appealing than religion. That is him as a man. Um, And you might have heard phrases like this today that, well, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. Have you heard things like that being said around today? And, and we see this in this passage because the crowd came out 
to meet him. On verse 13, when they took palm branches, they went out to meet Jesus. Now, who were the crowd? The crowd were the religious people of the day. They had come from miles around to Jerusalem. It was uh, compulsory if you lived within a certain area of Jerusalem to come for certain festivals of the year. So Pentecost and Passover and uh, tabernacles were, were ones that you had to come to. So the crowd that were in Jerusalem were there for the Passover. They were there for their religious duties, their culture, their ceremonies, and they were going through the same thing that they did the year before, the same thing they did the year before that, the same thing they did the year before that and before that. And they were being very religious. We, we have that term that comes, oh, you're being very religious about something. By, by that we mean you're being consistently going over and over and over it. And this is what the people were doing. They were there for the festival. They were involved in all that the festival was happening. And then they hear, Jesus is here. And they leave what they're doing and they rush out to meet Jesus. They, they've got all their, their, their symbols, their, their cultures, their, the things that they're doing as, as part of their religion. But their religion didn't satisfy that this, this Jesus was there and this Jesus was appealing. He, he said some things that were, were, were itching their ears, that touching their hearts. Who is this Jesus that can, can provide something that, that all of this constant going over and over and over and over doesn't ever satisfy? And we can get like that where we become very religious in our spirituality by doing this and doing that and following this and repeating that, and becomes very stale, becomes very dry, becomes very normalised. But then we hear that Jesus is coming. And the crowd went out to meet him. They left what they were doing. You know, I was thinking, I was thinking if, if Jesus walked into the back door this morning, I mean, Jesus is here, but in the flesh, I bet you'd all just, Sorry, Sam. <laughs> you know, what you're saying is pretty interesting, but I'm going to go head out and, and listen to, to Jesus. He was more attractive than what they were doing. Jesus is in town, and they shouted, Save us now. That's what Hosanna means. Save us now. Jesus was going to be a one-time, all-sufficient sacrifice from now and forever. They didn't need to keep coming back, keep coming back, following the same thing, going through the same rituals that never satisfied because it, they'd need to do it again and again and again and again. But save us now, ultimately, forever and a day. That's what Jesus promises, that his, his work is done. Because Jesus is real, he's authentic, and he has passion. So there's this clash between the old system of religion and what Jesus was doing that was new and exciting. And may that be the same for you, that Jesus is always doing something new. He is always wanting to reveal something of himself in your life. He's wanting to change our hearts. He's wanting to do something new, that it's not the same old, same old, same old. In fact, as a... As a preacher, it's, it's when you get to Easter and, and Christmas, 
it's really hard because you think, well, I've, I've taken that angle, I've talked about that before, and I've said, maybe I'll just get out of the, the bottom drawer a sermon I've done before. But I don't want to do that. Always, what's Jesus saying now? What's Jesus doing amongst us right now and here in our world and in our lives? So there's this clash. Just uh, an example, uh, if you flick over to Matthew chapter 15, here's an example of this, this clash. Verse 1, some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders for they don't wash their hands before they eat? And Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? And then he goes on to to quote from the prophet Isaiah, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So why is Jesus more appealing than religion? You might have your own. I've just come up with a couple that I've thought in my mind, that religion focuses on the outward, but Jesus focuses on the inward. That came across in that Jesus storybook Bible this morning, wasn't it? That the, the outward, the washing of, of the feet, whereas Jesus is going to wash our hearts. He's going to transform us from the inside. The religious people were all about how you look and how you act and how you behave and, and how you present to other people on the outside. But Jesus is interested in what happens on our insides and he changes us from the inside out. Religion focuses on what you can't do, but Jesus focuses on what you can do. I don't know about you, but have you met a lot of religious folk that say, well, I'm a good person because I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I don't do that, and I'm, I'm good because I don't do this? It's like, yeah, but what do you do? <laughs> Jesus has come to give us life in all its fullness. He's come to give us a, a participation in his mission in the world that he gives us gifts that we can, can do and serve and love and deal with injustice and, and honour and mercy, what can we do as believers of Christ? That's what Jesus focuses on. Religion puts up barriers and Jesus pulls down barriers. We, we, we see this in the Easter story ultimately with a physical barrier when Jesus dies, the curtain is torn. There are barriers to people coming to God. We saw that in the religious system or did talked about it in Acts, in the, in the temple, there are a, a number of courts and you could only go through a certain, into a certain court if you were uh, a Gentile, the, the Gentile courts were on the outside, and then if you're a female, you could go past that, and then if you're male, you could go past that, and if you're a priest, you could go past that, and if you're the high priest, then you can go into the, past the curtain into the Holy of Holies. And Jesus breaks down that physical barrier, but he also breaks down the other barriers that religion puts up, which is why a lot of the lowly hung out with Jesus and found it easy to approach him. The, the widows, the, the prostitutes, the, the tax collectors, they all hung around Jesus because he didn't put up barriers to them approaching him and they found it easy to be with him. And religion says, Work your way to God, which is a do. And Jesus says, I am the way. What I've done, it is finished. It is finished. It is accomplished. You don't have to 
effort anymore. You just need to trust and believe in the finished work of Christ and what he has done for us. So Jesus is more appealing than religion. Second thing is, oh, and, and you notice this in verse 19. Notice what the Pharisees said to one another. Look, the whole world has gone after him. <laughs> it's getting us nowhere. We're, we're trying to contain this thing. We're, we're trying to make everyone conform back to our ways and our structures and what we want, and it's getting us nowhere because everyone's attracted to Jesus. and We can't stop it. Second thing is that scripture is more reliable than opinion. I don't know about you, but have you noticed that there are lots of opinions in the world today about who Jesus is? You only have to go on social media to get someone doing a video about their understanding and their their interpretation, their sense of who Jesus is. And John and the other gospel writers, whenever they talk about Jesus and they highlight something, they, they always uh, preference it and reference it with the Old Testament, with the scriptures. And we see this in John's passage. First of all, he quotes Psalm uh, 118, uh, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then Zechariah 9.9. 9. A prophecy 500 years before this happened, Zechariah said that the Messiah would come riding on a donkey. And so this is who Jesus is. It's not what people say he is. It's not what um, we interpret it to be. But it's what Scripture says. So if you want to know who Jesus is, then read about it. And don't rely on others or on TikTok or on your favourite author, or even on me, rely on scripture because that is more reliable than a human being. In fact, God's revelation is more reliable than our estimation. I love that quote. God's revelation of who he is is more reliable than our estimation. Uh, A friend of mine, uh, Andrew Kleinsmith, um, is a pastor and a teacher, and I remember one specific sermon listening to him and he was, he was talking about this very uh, topic and he, he got to the point where he was saying, and this person thinks this and this person thinks this and this person thinks that. So he got, got, he got quite irate and he slammed the pulpit and he said, I don't care what people think, I just care what God thinks. And that's true and that's what we, we see and what John brings out in this he says, behold, your king coming on a donkey. Now, even the disciples had an opinion on what that meant. They thought that the king was going to come in as the Messiah and restore the, the Davidic kingdom, that they would get rid of all the Romans who were uh, oppressing them, and they'd restore things back to how it was in the Old Testament. So when they said, your king's coming, yeah, he's a, yeah hail Jesus, king, he's going to come and, and do all these things. They had an opinion of who Jesus was, even the disciples. But I love what John's honesty here. He doesn't try and pretend that he had it all together. He actually is honest and he says, at first the disciples did not understand this. They had their opinion wrong too. 
Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise these things had been written about him and that these things had to be done to him. It was only after the event of the resurrection that they go, oh, that's why he said that. Oh, that's what he meant by that. Oh, that's why the Old Testament prophets said that about him. Now it all makes sense. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm so encouraged by verses like this because I don't know about you, but I've read some stuff and it takes me a while to get it. And a year later, when I think I've got it, then all of a sudden, bing, ah, now I get it. (laughs) Because my opinion had to be redirected based on Scripture, not based on what a friend said, not based on what the, the most popular TV evangelist has said. We've got it. We're a people of the book, friends. We've got to come back to what the Scripture says about our king and ultimately he is the king of kings we sang, we sang that this morning crown him king of kings lord of lords wonderful counselor he is come to create his kingdom that will be an everlasting king that will never change and that we are under his kingship and his lordship that's what it means for him to be our king I, um, we, we went to uh, a medieval fair yesterday, which was kind of fun. And as we were driving, I was listening to some of our children chat in the background. And one of my, my kids was in a conversation with another one and they said, oh, it was really interesting. I read um, the Osborne Book of Religions this week, <laughs> as you do. Um, <clears throat> and he said, I've, I've drawn some conclusions from that. I'm like, ooh, this would be interesting. (laughs) What conclusions have you drawn? Uh, And he said, it seems like Christianity is the only religion where God has come to us to explain things and to reveal what is truth. seems to me like every other religion is about just some Joe Blow or some human being who has an opinion and has suggested something for us. I thought, wow, how profound is that? It's true. Christianity is the only religion where God has revealed and has come to us to, to share what is true and what is real and what is right. Every other religion is based on someone's opinion, on a human being's understanding or interpretation or makeup of a new thing. Wow. So if you want a source of confidence in your life, follow God's word and be guided by it for it is trustworthy and reliable it's so easily to be swayed by opinion in our day and age where peer pressure is there how do i look you know what's what's what are people going to think have i got it right but none of that matters when it comes to trusting in jesus number three so first of all jesus is is more appealing than religion uh, that scripture is more reliable than, uh, sorry, religion, opinion. And thirdly, and now this one, this one is actually two. <laughs> I had to reword it twice, but it means the same thing. Following Jesus is more important than having all the answers. Or following Jesus is more important than being perfect. Following Jesus is more important than having 
the intellectual answers, having things all understood in our minds first. As the, as the crowds gathered, they'd be, they'd be there trying to work it out. What does this mean? What's going to happen? How do I make this make sense in my mind? And following Jesus is more important than being perfect. That's a moral thing where we've had this sense of, well, you know, I've got to, got to get myself to a certain point first before Jesus loves me. I, in my early Christian years, really struggled with this. I, I came from, a, I like to think myself still as a bit of a rebel, um, and I remember my, my formative Christian years was when I was reading Keith Green's No Compromise, and I started hanging out with a, a youth group that was very different from the youth group that I grew up in. The youth group I grew up in was just go have fun and have games and have supper and go home. This youth group was, they were raising their hands, they were praying for each other, they were, they were sharing the word of God. And I'm like, who are these people? And there, there was this comparison. And I remember being part of it going, well, I like what I see here and I, I want to follow Jesus. And I want to be like them. But obviously there's some work to do first. First of all, there's the intellectual. Man, they, they know the Bible off by heart. They can, they can rattle off, off verses without looking them up. And I'm, I'm terrible at that. Maybe I'll just spend a year, first of all, just getting that sorted out. And, and these guys, man, they look perfect in their life. I don't do anything wrong. Not like me. Maybe, maybe I'll just get myself together first. Maybe before I say yes to Jesus, I'll just do some personal work to help him along the way and I'll get myself right. You know, what a stupid thing to think because you'll never be right. You'll never have it all together and you'll never understand everything. Who here thinks that they understand everything? Who here, uh, particularly some of you older folk, feel like you have to like undo some of the learning you did in your early years? Yeah? Man, some of the things I thought in, in my, some of the things I preached, I cringe about. But what we had here in this passage was four groups of people. There were the disciples. Disciples were people that followed Jesus. There was a crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the, from the dead. So, so they witnessed Jesus do some pretty cool stuff, and they're there going, wow, is he going to do some cool stuff again? Then there were theirs that, that, that heard about what he'd done with the miracle. They're like, ooh, that's interesting. I, I, want, to come, I want to come and intellectualise this and try and work out what this means for us. And then there's the Pharisees. All of the people there were all in the same boat, but it was the disciples that followed him no matter what. And you know what? Even the disciples got it wrong. But what was more important was that they continued on the road of discipleship because the disciples ran away when Jesus was on trial. They were scared. They went by his side. Peter denied him. That was a mistake. Did you think they had it all together at that point? Do you think they understood intellectually 
what it meant for Jesus or did they have to, once he was resurrected, now understand? Don't let the barrier of your intellect or the barrier of your morality stop you from following Jesus. What's most important is that you follow him. And that's what the disciples did. Even when they got it wrong, even through the trial, through the crucifixion, running away. But it was when Jesus came to them at the resurrection, they, can, they didn't say, well, I've stuffed up, that's it, I'm, I'm off now. No, they continued on the road of discipleship. Because following Jesus is more important than having it all together. Following Jesus is more important than being perfect. Because as you allow Jesus into your heart, he's going to do things that you can't do yourself. And he's going to transform you on the inside out and lead you to be like him. And you can't do that on your own. So it's more important that you follow Jesus. I want to invite the band up now. We're going to sing a song that speaks coming to Jesus. Come, you weary heart, to Jesus. And as you've been listening this morning, has the Lord been speaking to you perhaps about your own religiosity? Has your walk with him become dry? Has it become just very religious? Has it become same, same? Jesus is here. And he is so attractive because he wants to do something new in your life. He wants to, to take that heart and do something in your life. Or maybe you've been struggling with who he is. Maybe this morning is your chance to say, you know what, I want to I follow Jesus. Maybe I don't have it all together. Maybe I don't have all the answers. But I want to trust that his finished work on the cross is enough for me and that his grace is sufficient. Come to Jesus this morning. Will you stand? Let's pray. Lord, I just want to pray for everyone here in this room. I want to thank you that as you rode in on a donkey, you symbolise being a king that comes in peace, that you are the prince of peace, that you come not to, to wage war with us, but to offer yourself as a sacrifice, as the Passover lamb, that all the muck and sin and rebellion that that religion shows that the barrier is there, you pull down, that we can simply come to you without fear, without needing to have it all together, without needing to have all the answers. And you say, you simply say, come, receive from me something fresh, something new. Come. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are, that you, who you are is reliable, that we don't need to 
to think about what other people think, but we can simply come trusting in who you are based on who you said you were. And so, Lord, we just pray for everyone in this room that you'd be speaking to them now. And as we sing this song, Lord, that you'd be touching their lives. And, Lord, if there is anything that you are wanting to say, if anything that you're wanting to do, Lord, we just pray that you'd do that right now. Come, Holy Spirit, come and minister to us as we sing. Come, you weary heart, now to Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. And as we sing, if you feel like, you know, I just want, I just want to pray about this. I want, I want someone to speak into it. I'm going to, I'm going to be out the front this morning. I'm not going to join the band. If you want to come and for me to pray with you, I'd love for, to do that. If you want to say, oh, I'm just so dry, I just need God to do something fresh in my life. If you think, yeah, I just feel like my life is just full of needing to do the right thing, and I just, today's the day I just go, leave all that behind. I just want to follow Jesus. I want to let him do the thing in my life. Come, come as we sing. Holy Spirit put something on my heart this morning as, as Sam's been preaching and because it's helped me maybe it will help some of you um, it's to do with all the re- religiosity I suppose in some sense um, I grew up as a JW and by the time I was 16 I was knocking on people's doors 100 hours a month and <laughs> one day I fell to the floor and I said Jehovah I'm so grateful that I have the truth but if I don't have truth please show me truth and within two months I was out of that place but it sent me on a spiral of searching for truth and I dragged my family to every church seven-day Adventists all sorts of different places just is this the truth is this the truth always such a burden in my spirit and then I went to Tabor College because I thought here I'm going to find out what truth is really all about and it did it blessed me but those two diplomas I did they really helped me sort things out but ever since that I've just still had a passion for everything to do with God Um, I, I buy books I read them I have a huge new book Renewed Theology this big And I'm longing to read it, but at the same time it's a burden. But I feel this this urge to just want to keep learning and growing. And this week I picked up a whole box full of Watchman Nee books, um, The Missionary to China, and I started reading it. And somebody had written in the column, because it was an old book, no, this is not really true. 
And I thought, I'm setting myself free. I'm taking this box back because I don't want to to take all this in. It's just too big a burden to bear. And at night I'll get up in the morning and I've got a favourite Christian rabbi. I'll listen to four or five of his sermons during the week, plus others. And I realised this morning, yes, these things are good in themselves, but they can be a burden too. And really I need to sit with the word and just let God speak to me that way. So Sam, you've just really <laughs> taken that, that guilt away of, of I don't have to search and get it all and learn more and more and more. I can just rest in Jesus. So thank you. Thank you, Willie. Well, that brings us to a close today. So um, I pray you've been blessed and uh, encouraged as we lead up to Easter next weekend. Just to remind about um, the boxes over here for families to come and take them. And there's also devotions that, for adults that, that can be taken as well. There's also information about uh, baptism and Pastor Ian Miller, who's going to be at Seton in the coming weeks. So if you would like to pray with anyone, we always have people in the prayer room after who would love to pray with you. So have a wonderful week. God bless. Hang around for a coffee. And thanks for coming. <laughs>